From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Headache is one of the most common medical complaints, and yet it can be a challenging condition for doctors to diagnose and manage. I'm talking with a headache expert today. Dr. Aus Zidon is an assistant professor of neurology at Upstate. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Zidon. Thank you, Amber. I appreciate the chance to talk to your audience. In preparing for this interview, I visited the National Headache Foundation, where there's this long list of 30 different types of headaches, and I had no idea there were so many different types. I think most of us have heard of migraines, and I'm going to be talking with you at length about that. But first, I'd like to know more about some of the other types of headaches. So to begin with, how does a person know whether their headache is a symptom of a serious problem? Um. That's a really good question, Amber, and it's it's actually uh, surprisingly it's not easy to answer. Um, a headache can be uh, primary, which means it happens with no underlying disease, or secondary, which means it happens secondary to some underlying neurological disease. Um, uh, both of them can be disabling. Both of them can be severe, um, and, and obviously it depends what that secondary disease. Um, that will determine the importance or the prognosis of, of that secondary headache. Um, so, in, in uh, I think in short, we can say that um, all headaches are significant, and I, I'm going to be talking about this in detail today. Um, a headache should not be ignored. Um, headache should really be very uh, alarming if uh, if it happens suddenly. Um, if it's if it's in a person who's not used to having headache and they suddenly start having headaches, if it comes with other symptoms like let's say fever or coughing um, uh, or weakness or numbness, um, uh, blurred vision, um, um, I think this is this is some of the most important symptoms that come with it. Uh, or if headaches change in somebody who has headache for quite some time and then suddenly they have a change in their headache pattern. Uh, all of that will indicate that something probably will need to be looked at. Um, but, but again, not to undermine the importance of any headache, because I think all headaches need to be addressed, uh, as it can be a very disabling condition. Um, and even when it's mild, it can be seriously affecting the lifestyle of the affected patient. Are there symptoms that are typically descriptive of someone who has a headache that's tied to a tumor? Um, I think uh, there are some there are some symptoms that can alert physicians toward the possibility of having a mass lesion in the brain as 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 a cause for the headache. Um, however, and I have to stress this again and again and again, it's really important to know that there is no one hundred percent rule, which means there is an exception for every single thing I'm going to say. However, the general rule remains general, and it's worth knowing. So. Yes, the headache that's usually constant, non-remitting, difficult to treat with analgesics like the, the, the daily intake of, of Tylenol or other medication, uh, the headache that, that's worse when we're lying down and it's as it's worse when we are, when we wake up from sleep. Uh, obviously, the headache that comes with other, other symptoms I mentioned like blurriness of the vision or other neurological symptoms. All of that can be alarming that it may be secondary to some growing mass in the brain. Uh, I, I have to say this is the concern of 
probably the majority of patients who have headache, very understandably. It can be quite scary. It's one of the scariest things that we, we can tell our patient they have. Um, however, it's quite uncommon. So if you're listening to this and you have headache, don't jump immediately to the conclusion it may be a brain tumor. Actually, that's quite, it's, it's really quite infrequent thing. That's good to know. I have heard that headache can be um, a symptom of a stroke, though. Are there, can you talk about the type of headache that someone might experience if they're, you know, having a stroke? Headaches that have been, there is a subset of headache disorders um, that have been secondary to vascular reasons. And by vascular reasons, we mean anything affecting the arteries or the veins. In, in our in our brain. Now these headaches, they share some common features and they are really important to know. It's actually one of the things that I, I kind of like make sure my residents know by heart every single time I'm quizzing them on headache because they, they can be quite important to identify in emergency setting. Um, these headaches tend to be thunderclap for the majority of them. And by thunderclap, we mean that the headache happens and reaches the peak very quickly. So by definition, it's within five minutes. However, if we're gonna go to a, a patient's experience, most likely patients are gonna experience it as something that's just, uh, as if it's a hammer that's immediately hitting them. Like they have no pain and the next second, the pain is 10 out of 10. This is how most people describe thunderclap headache. And when when we have something of that urgency, the first thing we need to think about is that, why did it happen? Did the blood cease to flow somewhere, which is ischemic stroke? Did the blood start leaking somewhere, for example, into the brain, which is a hemorrhagic stroke, or into the fluid around the brain, which is the subarachnoid hemorrhage, one of the most disabling and important conditions to know? Is it a sign of thrombosis in one of the veins? And yes, all, all of that can be can be absolutely on the differential for, for that type of headache. So out of all the presentations of headache, um, probably a thunderclap headache, one that hits immediately, is the most important to recognize and seek care for. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking about headaches with neurologist, Dr. Aus Zidon. Now, most people have experienced sort of a, a random headache from time to time. Is the two aspirin remedy still the best kind of remedy for that? <laughs> I, I, I'm really smiling right now. I'm trying to answer that question. It's, it's uh, um, here I'm going to go to the point I made when we started this interview. Um, headache is really an important, I, I mean, I, I don't know why it goes what, in, in the public knowledge, like uh, in and the layman talk is that, oh, it's like a headache. It's nothing. Take two aspirin for it. I mean, headache can be extremely disabling. As I said, it can be, it can really affect lifestyle significantly. And I think any headaches need to be checked out. It's worth a conversation with your primary care. Probably nothing more than that most of the time, but it's worth alerting your physician that, that there is something nagging you. If the headache is infrequent, happens once a time, let's say because of stress, because of too much coffee, too little coffee, something like that. Is, is a little bit of Tylenol or aspirin good for it? Yeah, absolutely, why not? If, if it works, there is no problem with it, as long as it's infrequent and nothing that, that that's kind of standing out um, every now and then. 
So how do you go about assessing what's causing a person's headache? It all starts with history, just like everything in medicine. So we need to get a very clear description of, of the headache. Um, I think one of the most important factors is that what makes the headache better, what makes it worse. I give special importance to this. Um, this typical feature, this specific uh, uh, features of pain help really illuminate the reason of the pain. So uh, um, uh, that that always should be the beginning. Um, after that, we uh, we can we do our neuro exam. We make sure that we're really we're not missing. There is no weakness. There is no numbness. There is nothing um, uh, obvious uh, that can alert us to more serious conditions. It always helps to look at the general condition of the patient. Um, many physicians, unfortunately, they they fall into the mistake of not knowing that. Headache can be a sign of TMJ or of uh, neck pain or a little bit of arthritis in the neck, uh, some eye problems. So like everything needs to be attended to very carefully when it comes to the head and neck, whenever we're talking about headache. And after that, that usually guides our decision of whether we need to pursue further evaluation with workup or whether we can just start treating empirically. Um, um, I, I think that's how the general flow goes. Are there tests or scans that can confirm the existence of a headache, or do you rely entirely on the patient's description? Headache is a subjective feeling, and uh, the, the scans are only important in ruling out secondary headaches. So, for example, if we're looking for, again, the, 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 the thing that most people are afraid of, pain tumor, then we do head imaging, like MRI or CAT scan. Uh, if we're afraid of uh, vascular uh, problem, then we do uh, physical imaging like uh, CT angiogram uh, or uh, MR angiogram. Um, um, if we are afraid that there is some state of infection around the spine or around the brain, then we do, we get uh, fluid from uh, via lumbar tab. Um, so this is the kind of like workup that we may need to do. Um, however, Again, most of the time it goes back actually to getting a detailed history and doing a good exam uh, in determining the reason of the headache. Most people's headache, the majority of it is basically primary headache, which means there is no legion behind it. There is no disease behind it. It's just it's primary. Um, and under this, under this classification, uh, three headaches are quite common. Migraine, which is the most common by far tension headache, and then another category, which is trigeminal headaches, such as cluster headache. Um, um, and, and again, there are no tests to determine this diagnosis. There are no tests to say, oh, this patient has a migraine, or it has a tension headache, or that one has a cluster headache. It all comes back to having a good history um, and getting a detailed description. So, if a person is uh, dealing with headaches and they've made an appointment to see a, a doctor or a specialist like yourself, what sorts of information should they bring with them uh, so that they're prepared for the appointment? Are you, are you um, likely to ask them how often they have headaches? And that That's the most important thing. You know, headache diary can be a great asset for any physician looking into diagnose headache. Now, some people have really good memory and they have very good uh, they, they, they are naturally good in describing their headache, uh, which is a blessing. That, that's really good. 
Um, however, a lot of people can. They can't remember the details. They can't remember when it starts. They can't even remember how often. When headache is something happening on a daily basis, it becomes intricate. It becomes, it, it goes into our daily life and it becomes really difficult to extract how bad it is or how often it's happening or what makes it worse, what makes it better. And sometimes just writing them down can, can give us a great clue. And actually you'll be surprised by the number of times my patient said that writing down their headache diary gave them insight about things that provoke their headache or make it worse, things that they didn't think of before. Uh, so I think that's one of the things that, that adds a great value. And when we talk about, so basically when we're asking about what kind of information, most of, these, most of the information are already on the headache diary. So we care a lot about the frequency, about the duration, about the location of the headache, about the description of the pain. Uh, we care a lot about, as I said, what makes the headache better, what makes it worse. Migraine headaches get, becomes worse with uh, loud noises, bright lights. Uh, while on the other hand, um, 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 uh, a cluster headache, for example, the patients tend to move around and they don't want to sit still. Um, so every, every headache has its own features in, 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 in a way. Um, and and uh, finally, if they find they're having any associated symptoms with it, um, do they find that they uh, uh, do they find that they uh, that their face goes numb, or do they find that they are uh, they having excessive tearing, or they having runny nose? I think all of these can be quite important information when we talk about headache. Upstate's HealthLink on Air will be back with more information about headache after this short break. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air. I'm your host Amber Smith here with Dr. Al Zidon. He's a neurologist and headache expert at Upstate. What makes a headache a migraine? A migraine headache is by definition is, is a headache that's moderate in intensity, moderate or severe, that lasts more than four hours, up to 72 hours, and it can be longer than that in, in, in some cases. Um, um, it can be uni unilateral, which means happens on one side, or bilateral, meaning it can happen on both sides of the head. It tends to be throbbing um, versus the dull pain uh, that tension headache usually has. Uh, so throbbing like, like the patient feels it as a heartbeat or, or as, as, uh, as pulsating uh, pain. Um, um, it tends to, and that's I think one of the most important features, it tends to get better with lying still. So they, they prefer to stay still. They prefer to lie down uh, during their migraine attacks. And I think, again, I can't stress that enough. I think that's one of the most important features of migraine. Um, and typically, migraine headache can come with some, uh, some symptoms uh, associated with it, specifically nausea and vomiting. Nausea is extremely common with migraine. Um, it also can bring some light sensitivity and noise sensitivity. Um, actually, it can bring sensitivity to anything, light, noise, smell, even light touch, uh, motion. Uh, they will be excessively sensitive to any movement, um, and all of that falls into the category of migraine. Now, none of these features is like 100% confirmatory of migraine. None of these features will be enough to say this headache is a migraine, but overall, the general picture will, uh, of a migraine is that it's a headache that has these features. Do we know what causes migraines? It's, uh, uh, it's a question that we're still working on. In, okay. in, uh, <laughs> in this. But do they, do they seem to run in families? 
It's absolutely, there, there is significant genetic component. There are few genes that are identified as, as, as genes that can indeed cause headaches. Um, however, even in the absence of these specific genes, we think that uh, migraine is, is multifactorial and there are multiple genetic locations that can be related to it. And I, I believe just from, from my personal experience is that I, I don't know, I don't want to give number, but the vast majority of patients will have some form of family history of migraine headaches. Well, how do you go about treating migraines? Um, it depends really on how bad it is and how frequent it is. I think it comes down to, to these two features. So uh, let's break it down. There are two types of migraine treatment. There's the rescue treatment and there's the preventative treatment. And we shouldn't confuse these together. It's really important to set them apart. So rescue treatment is what we do when we have a headache. Uh, taking Tylenol is a rescue treatment in a sense. Taking aspirin is a rescue treatment. Uh, there are some other medications that can help for rescue as well. Preventative treatment is what we do to prevent migraines from happening. So our goal is not to stop a single attack, but to make them less frequent. Now, in general, and of course, every rule has an exemption. In general, um, the, if the headache, if the migraine headache is happening less than four times a month, then it's probably not worth a daily treatment. It's probably worth just finding a good rescue treatment, something that can abort it successfully every single time or the majority of the time. If the headache is lasting more, if the headache is occurring more than four times a month, then having a treatment to take when you have the headache is not going to be enough. It's not going to cut it. And you want to probably have something either on daily basis or some other form of preventative therapy that you can use to make the headache less frequent, hopefully bringing the frequency to less than four. Um, uh, I, I think this is, this is the uh, outline of the treatment in a nutshell. Again, there are definite exceptions to that. Let's say somebody has one headache a month that's extremely debilitating, take them to the ER every single time. I mean, we, that's probably worth preventative therapy as well. So, but the general rule is, is, is the number of four, I would say. Do patients outgrow migraines or is there any way to do away with them entirely? My, migraine is, is the, uh, as many patients know, is, is very hormonal. Uh, it tends to happen in female more commonly than male. And even when it happens in female, it tends to follow a certain hormonal changes. So it's more common around the area, around the times when there are hormonal changes. Um, so, uh, which is the reason why it starts when, when uh, women hit puberty. It's the reason why it's common after delivery, when all the hormones start coming down. Uh, it's the reason why it's common uh, around menopause when the hormones are not stable. Um, aside from that, after menopause, things tend to calm down for some patients. Not for all of them, but definitely some of them are going to have, because the hormones are not going to start going up and down uh, every, every cycle, and that will help somehow reducing the frequency of the headache and sometimes eliminating it completely. Um, we never outgrow the genetic predisposition to have a migraine. So migraine, as I said, is in, 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 uh, by all means, it's a genetic predisposition. We are predisposed to perceive pain in the head and to become sensitive to touch, pain, light, noise, smells, and everything. And that's, that's in our genes when we have it. So we never outgrow that predisposition, 
but we may outgrow the frequency of the migraine. It may become much less frequent or, or even like stop occurring altogether. Well, let's talk about cluster headaches. How do they differ from migraines? Cluster headache is a group of, uh, is within a group of headaches that now we classify as trigeminal autonomic cephalgia. It's, it's a complex name, so let me break it down. Trigeminal means it has to do with the trigeminal nerve, which is the fifth nerve. Cephalgic, uh, autonomic means has to do with our autonomic system. And the autonomic system is the system that controls our bodily function, like tearing, secretions, the pupil size, uh, the, the dilatation of the blood vessels, um, and, and stuff alike. Um, cephalgia obviously means headache. So uh, in, in a nutshell, trigeminal autonomic cephalgia includes multiple types of headache. The most common one of them is cluster headache. Um, these headaches tend to be on the same side. So they tend to be unilateral, which meaning happening on one side and not only unilateral, but strictly unilateral, meaning that they happen on the same side and they do not cross to the other side. Again, of course, there are some exceptions, but usually that's the situation. Um, the cluster headache tends to be around the eye. It's extremely uh, severe, uh, very painful. Um, it's one of the most painful pain experiences uh, a human being can, can endure, actually. Um, uh, it, it tends to come with a strong autonomic features. And again, if I am to explain autonomic features, I will say it's like feeling, like having a runny nose, a feeling that the ear is blocked, um, having uh, redness around the eye or in, on the eye itself, uh, having the eyelid droopy a little bit, having changes in the diameter of the pupil, and all of that happened because the autonomic system in the brain uh, becomes affected during a, a cluster attack. And, uh, um, and I think th these are the main features. One, one important thing about cluster headache is that this is one of the few headaches that are more common in male compared to female by a significant margin. So it's about nine to one. Um, a cluster headache tends to have some diurnal um, variation. It tends to happen the same time every single time. So people will say that they get a headache 3 a.m. in the morning, every single morning throughout the cluster attack, um, while migraine doesn't have that strict timing. Do these cluster headaches respond to pain relievers, or how do you, how do you treat them? Um, the, the most important thing about cluster headache, and it can be one of the most frustrating things, is that it's, it's of short duration. I mean, it lasts only 30 minutes to 90 minutes by definition. And that, unfortunately, sometimes make it shorter than being able to respond um, via oral medication, because by the time the oral medication like gets absorbed and start becoming effective, the cluster would remit on its own. Um, uh, but we can't leave patients with that amount of pain for all that time. 30 minutes will, leave like, will, will feel like eternity. Uh, uh, I mean, 30 minutes on a treadmill feels like eternity, so I can't even imagine what's like when somebody has a cluster attack. Um, but I think, I think so, which is the reason we have some other methods of, of treating it. Um, there are some injections which can be given, and this can be faster because they can, they can start working within five to 10 minutes. Um, oxygen tends to be extremely effective. So uh, for some people who we can find another way of controlling the cluster, 
we, uh, we prescribe them oxygen tanks and we give it to them so they can apply high flow oxygen and that tend to eliminate the cluster, uh, to, to, to stop the cluster very, very quickly and abruptly. But remains, I think the most important thing is finding a way to reduce the frequency of cluster. Um, we, we don't want cluster attack to happen altogether because once it happens, it's, it's, the, the bane is going to be there. Um, even if we eliminate it in five to 10 minutes, but these five to 10 minutes are going to still be very significant. Well, I've seen headache listed as one of the early symptoms of a COVID-19 infection. Are you seeing patients who are still struggling with headaches after they've no, survived? I'm Amber, it's such an important question. Thank you for bringing it up. And it's in this time, we, we, we are still learning about COVID. Few things we know about COVID as a neurologist, for sure. One thing is that COVID presents with loss of sensation, loss of smelling and taste. And we think this happened because the virus has the capability to um, actually invade within the brain as uh, brain part that's that's responsible for for smelling and and tasting, um, uh, unlike most other other like typical common cold viruses. Um, uh, that's one thing about it. The second thing we know that COVID tends to increase the likelihood of clotting, so people may present with increased likelihood of having strokes. Now, these two features are the most important when we discuss the neurological effect of COVID. Headache is by far one of the most common presentations of COVID. Uh, it usually comes with the other features like the malaise, the fatigue, the, uh, the, the fever that doesn't respond to, to Tylenol, uh, the, uh, the, the loss of smell and the loss of taste. Uh, there have been multiple studies trying to, to look specifically at the headache features and uh, uh, there have been like few big studies actually and a few big surveys about the type of headache. I don't think anything very, very specific came out of them that can be that we can say, yeah, this headache definitely sounds like COVID. But actually, most of what we found is that COVID headache can be uh, usually as, as both sides, it's not on one side like a migraine headache wouldn't be. Uh, it's usually uh, um, the severe pressure, dull, achy. Um, uh, however, it can be throbbing at times, so that wasn't very helpful. Um, it's, uh, it tends not to respond to break, like regular over-the-counter analgesics. Uh, so again and again, people reporting that uh, their everyday headache or like their, uh, their usual headache, the one they get once in a blue moon, uh, that would go away with Tylenol, this one usually wouldn't. Um, and it, uh, it comes with other COVID symptoms, mainly the loss of smell and the loss of taste. This actually, this specific feature is the biggest indicator that the headache is COVID related. And so it sounds like there's still a lot of research into what this all means. I think it's gonna take us years looking into how COVID affects the nervous system and how it affects the different diseases. Uh, one thing, for example, that uh, I've seen from, from many of my patients, which is really we don't have a lot of data on, is that people with migraine, when they get COVID, like they go into that period of having really severe headaches, severe migraine headaches with all migraine features that stay for way longer than average. Um, and again, there, we still, we know very little about that. Uh, thankfully, most of them so far, I mean, I, I think the majority of my patients have recovered uh, reasonably and well, um, but I'm pretty sure if we look 
in, in a bigger scale, we're going to find uh, that there's been some debilitating headaches as a result of COVID. Well, let me ask you in general, how common is it for headache patients to become depressed? This question has many facets to it. Uh, the relation between pain and depression has been recognized long ago. And, and it's, uh, it's one of the major things that physicians will investigate when patients come with chronic pain. Um, at, at the same time, the relation between headache and, and depression doesn't mean that one of them caused the other. We shouldn't look at headache as a result of depression. We should look really into headache and try to treat it to the best we can. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, many people fall into the mistake of, of like, putting their headaches on depression or stress of the life or having too many, having to work too many hours or a busy family or stressful events. And yes, all of that can play a role in headache, but yet that should not be an excuse for the patient or for their providers to say that, I mean, this is what it is. No, actually it's not. We have to treat, we treat patients to improve their lifestyle we don't treat them. We don't change their lifestyles. We we wanna we wanna keep them active. We wanna. I mean, people are gonna go to work. They're gonna be stressed in work, no matter what we do. And we should give them most attention we can to treat any symptoms that come out of this stress. Um, so so yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty common for any chronic pain, not only headache, but for any chronic pain, if it goes untreated, to become accompanied with significant depression. Um, uh, I think depression needs to be treated and the chronic pain needs to be treated as well. There are, however, a few things worth mentioning. Uh, a triad of depression, tension headache, and fibromyalgia is pretty common. Um, uh, and we, we know that treating like these three conditions should actually come together uh, because treating one of them will affect the other two. Uh, so we, we tend to look at the whole picture every single time we see them. Um, uh, but as I said before, um, we, depression is not going to cause migraine headache. Depression may make migraine headache worse, but migraine headache needs to be looked at and need to be treated appropriately. Um, uh, yes, depression can be, depression in general can reduce our threshold to any pain. And that's true when it comes to low back, to neck, and of course to headache. Migraine is reduced threshold to head pain. So migraine, they are very sensitive and anything will provoke a headache. And, and yes, the, the two combined together is probably not a good combination, uh, definitely not in, in favor of the patient. Um, but but these, are, these are separate many times and we, they need to be looked at separately many times. Well, this has been very informative. I thank you, Dr. Al Zidon. He's an assistant professor of neurology at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink on Air.